We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Have your Bible handy. We'll probably be looking at a few verses here. Um, I will uh, just introduce what we're doing here and review uh, from the last two times. Uh, but I will just start it out this way and say uh, I have a profound sense internally of inadequacy in teaching this kind of material. Because it is not merely doctrinal material at which I feel that I have a good handle on teaching, but it is putting it into practice. Um, I was dealing with a situation this week, a couple of heavy situations came across my desk by way of telephone calls, and I was thinking of this. You know, it's one thing to get up in the pulpit and to preach on forgiveness and how wonderful it is and how we should be forgiving toward everybody, and that's just warm and fuzzy and all of that. But the problem comes when you actually have to do it. (laughs) When somebody has offended you deeply and you have to receive uh, their apology, and then you must forgive them, as the Lord instructed in Luke chapter 17. In fact, I thought for a moment I would just uh, stop my series in Luke chapter uh, two and jump to chapter 17 and deal with that today. Uh, if your uh, brother comes to you and repents, then, uh, well, actually the, earlier it says in verses three and four, if, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he apologizes, if he repents, forgive him. And if he comes to you seven times in a day and does that, then you are to forgive him. Now that seems... To, to the Jewish mind at the time, that seemed uh, impossible. And to our mind today, it seems impossible, right? Uh, because the only kinds of offenses where that instruction is really necessary are those offenses which are difficult. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like in my message, I think I'll say this morning later, The Lord teaches us uh, about anxiety, and he says, don't be anxious for anything. Well, the time when that really matters is when there is something that you think, well, this is really worthy of my anxiety. Like, this is a very important issue. I need to be anxious about this. That's when that instruction applies that says, don't be anxious for anything. You know, it's not just like the little small stuff. It's the big stuff. We'll see a big example of it in the message this morning. And if you're tracking along, you might be wondering, hmm, what is that? Well, you'll, you'll see. You'll see. Um, but anyway, this profound sense of inadequacy because uh, the matters that we're looking at are ones at which I have not done perfectly and which take a lot of wisdom. And uh, perhaps you can uh, sympathize with me. <laughs> Um, we have looked at the uh, grace of parenting, 
And um, just by the way, so if you say today here, look, I don't have kids right now or my kids are growing and out of the house, Whew, I'm glad that's over with, uh, or whatever, um, you know, maybe you haven't had children, maybe you're not married, doesn't matter. This is all going to be relevant to you at some point. And it, even if you never have children, this teaching comes from the wellspring of Scripture, which teaches us about our own hearts. And part of the problem with, with families is not just the kids. It's the parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we're all sinners. And so we looked at part one a few weeks ago in which we talked about the matter of the heart. And one of the thematic verses that we used is Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the springs of life, or out of it issue forth the, the matters of life. And we looked at uh, you know, what the Lord said, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, those sorts of teachings, all kinds of evil uh, wickedness comes from within. You know, that which comes from without doesn't defile a person. Eating a ham sandwich doesn't defile you today. What defiles you is what's already inside that's defile, defiling you. And the Lord's teaching is very clear about that. We talked about the heart being the wellspring of life in the sense that it's really the control center. It's the operation center of the, of the nuclear plant. You know, it is the uh, network operation center. It's the emergency operation center when there's been a devastating uh, disaster somewhere. It's the place where you think and remember and know and discern. Remember we had that uh, little diagram of the heart and we said there's the cognition and there's the affection and there's the volition, you know, the will, the decider function. And uh, that is at the center of this whole, uh, this whole matter. You know, uh, how do you think? How do you remember? How do you interpret? What do you value? What do you desire? What do you decide? What do you choose? What do you commit to do? What do you pretend? What do you hope? What do you uh, feel? Your emotions. Um, how, what do you appreciate? Those sorts of things are all in our heart. And the heart, we said from Jeremiah 17.9, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So you might... You might experience that subtlety of the influence of sin in the heart in which it says, you know, it's, it's trying to get you to believe, well, I do value this thing, this good thing, but in reality, maybe you don't because it's deceitful. <clears throat> People deceive themselves all the time. They'll say one thing and they'll do another <laughs> Right? They'll speak with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. And this is one of the conundrums. This is the paradox of, of the idea of self-deception, which, again, I still should write a long paper on just to understand it better to help you with. We deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. People deceive themselves all the time because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This sin affects all of the capacities of the heart. One of the huge issues that I've mentioned before and perhaps you've run into as well when you're talking about, say, witnessing or reasoning with someone, <clears throat> when you're reasoning with somebody who doesn't believe, there's a big problem because it's not like sin has impacted 90% of their being and the rest of the 10%, you know, the brain part of them is unaffected. Like they can reason totally 
rationally, totally without being affected by sin or anything, you know, that, that, that part's untouched. That's not true. When you're witnessing to somebody, you're witnessing to somebody whose minds are darkened, whose hearts are, are hard and, and away from the Lord in the darkness. That's the teaching of Scripture. No one seeks after God. Okay? They're, they're corrupt from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. All the capacities of the heart, the cognition, the will, the, the affections, and all that are affected by sin. And that's the kind of person who is a parent, and that's the kind of person who is a child in the home. So that's what we're working with and dealing with. Um, so we started out that way and, and, and into the second lesson. I also spoke last time, uh, which was two weeks ago, I believe, or was it three? Anyway, whatever it was. Um, yes, it was just two, it was two weeks ago. Um, we talked about the ultimate goal of our parenting. Do you remember what we said that was? the ultimate goal. We looked at a number of goals that were not ultimate goals. We looked at uh, developing special skills, being well-adjusted psychologically. You know, one of the big things that people talk about, almost every time this comes up, when we talk about schooling, for example. Well, if I don't send my kids to a school, like if I homeschool them, then they won't be well socially adjusted. And I'm deeply concerned about that. That is not true. Some homeschool kids are the, but the most well-adjusted socially that I have ever seen. That's on the parents. That's when they are in the church and they're interacting with people in the church. Uh, that concern is a deceptive concern um, that leads people to make decisions that aren't necessarily biblical. Uh, of course, one of the concerns we have and a goal for us is salvation for our kids. But that even can be misplaced. Family worship can be an end. Good behavior. You know, I just want my kids to behave. Or I want them to get a good education. Or I just want them to be under control. That will make my life easier. Okay? That goal is centered on you. <laughs> that goal is not centered on God. And so we made the case that, uh, you know, whether you eat or whether you drink or whether you raise your kids or what, whether you go to church and how you do that, you do all to the glory of God, right? Yeah, so that's the ultimate goal. We want our kids to know God and to, be, and to serve Him, yes? Or do we want them to get good grades and get a scholarship because they're good at sports or or academics, and be able to go to college and have a good life and do the American dream, you know, that's the goal. So what we did then was we took those goals and we kind of pushed them out of our, uh, they, were, they, were, they were kind of junk. We got them off the desk. You know, now let's look at what the real goal is supposed to be on the desk and how we can take some of those things which aren't, some of them aren't sin, per se, and how we can um, look at those in a better way. So that was what I wanted to aim for today, among some other things. So bear with me as we think then about, we've set those goals aside as the, pri as the primary goal or preeminent aim or target that we're looking to hit, 
and we want to revise those. So let me walk through them again, but this time with a little bit of a different spin. So, you know, uh, some, some parents have a, the focus on, I want my kids to develop a special ability, a special skill, uh, maybe because that will do something to their character, we think, or that will help them to earn a scholarship, or that will help their self-esteem or their social development. Uh, or maybe it will develop, you know, a kind of robust sense of individuality and self-trust. You know, what, what does the team do when it comes into a matter of adversity, a difficult time? Well, you band together as a team and you work hard and you overcome the adversity and you trust one another and teamwork and all of that. Where is God and all of that? May I ask? Um, and these special skills are developed at what cost? Uh, lack of time for family worship, uh, setting aside the Lord's Day services. This shows our values, shows what our values are and how important it is for us that we develop these special skills or our kids do. Perhaps, it's even worse than that, perhaps we want them to develop special skills because we weren't able to, you know. Um, we want to live, we want to live our life through them again, our childhood that we wish we had through them. Well, that's no way to raise kids in a biblical fashion. Better would be to take this idea of developing special skills and think about it in terms of a couple of things. First of all, stewardship of your body, if it's an athletic kind of thing, uh, or stewardship of your gifts, if it's a, a skill that's maybe not necessarily so much, you know, running, jumping, you know, hitting a ball or kicking a ball or something like that, shooting one through the hoop. Uh, stewardship of the body. Um, you know, you want to exercise vigorously to uh, help strengthen your body and be a you know, be able to use it for God. You want to use uh, these special skills and development of them as an opportunity for family togetherness. You know, I guess, I don't know if that's the case with all these events, but it seems like today kids go like this and parents are running them to and fro, hither and yon, and it's becoming difficult to be together because they're apart so much. Um, so what about uh, developing our special skills so that we have an opportunity to serve others? So that the, the skill is developed not for the purpose of aggrandizing self or getting something for myself, but it's so that I can serve other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, developing so you serve others. That's an others-centered mindset. Uh, we'll look... Uh, let me see if I have it here. I do somewhere. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, yeah, it's going to be later in my notes. Turn there if you would, Philippians chapter 2. It seems appropriate to put this in at this point. Philippians 2, there are a couple of verses here in this section that relate to this. It says, um, verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. 
but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. See, so this, there's got to be a two-fold aim here. You, yes, there is looking out for your own interests. Yes, there's being a good steward uh, of your body, say, but there has to be also looking for the interests of others. And here's an example. In Timothy, uh, later on in Philippians 2, um, verse tw- uh, 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So Paul is appreciating Timothy here because Timothy is a guy who cares for others. He's focused on serving others, not on serving himself. Um, So the development of special skills. Revise that. Think about it in terms of how is it going to best honor God. And don't let yourself be deceived about that you know, making up kind of justifications. Um, Another example or kind of goal that we looked at and kind of set aside in terms of just its raw, you know, version in the world is psychological adjustment, social uh, development, that sort of thing. Um, And uh, in reading uh, the book that I'm reading on this, the one example that comes up a couple of times is uh, teaching a child about self-defense. And uh, it's interesting because that's kind of been a standard cultural thing. You know, if you're a a bully, you take the offense. If you're a nice guy, uh, you don't do anything like that. But if somebody punches you, then you knock their block off, you know, and be able to do that because you've taken your karate classes and stuff like that, right? Um, Does that sound like what Jesus would say? I wonder. Actually, I don't wonder. Does it sound like turn the other cheek or do good to those that despitefully use you? Pray for those that persecute you. Love your enemy. Trust God. Be like Jesus. Uh, overcome evil with what? More good. Yeah. And and here's the thing. This the principle that the author's getting across in the, in the study, and I agree with that it's very difficult to do those things. In fact, it's so difficult that you would say, I can't do that. My flesh won't do that. I need help to do that. And so what you can do is that is an avenue for you to teach your child or yourself how am I going to do that without God's help? If I'm not saved, then I really am going to find it impossible to do that. So point to the gospel and the need for the gospel in this. So that may, as, as with me reading this, with you hearing this now, you may say, wait a minute, that just doesn't seem right. I'm not used to that kind of thinking. Well, that's true maybe, but I present it to you as an option that you need to severely, seriously consider, and not just remaining in the kind of, you know, mindset that you have. See, so what a lot of people, what I notice this as a pastor, in some of the most important decisions, 
people, all of us, all of us I'm talking about in our assembly, have already made up our minds as to how we're going to do things in life. We don't ask about it. We don't seek counsel about it. We, you know, we might talk amongst our husband and wife selves about it and, and think about, well, and you, you, you can kind of easily default to, well, this is what I did. You know, I did this for my schooling. I did this for in growing up, or I wanted to do this. Uh, or, you know, that's my parents disciplined me that way or did this or that, and I turned out okay, so... No, just kind of default to that. You find you, yourself becoming, you know, gentlemen like your dad and ladies, you know, like your mom somewhat or like a combination of your parents without necessarily examining, was that right? You know, was that, the, was that really the best way to do it? Um, have you already made up your decision or are you honestly going to seek wisdom about whether I should do this with my children, where I should send them to school, how I should think about college, um, what I should let them you know, do in their free time, uh, and, and probably 50 other questions that you might think of. Maybe it's not the best idea to just kind of already have a default decision made up without thinking it through biblically. Um, when, when I was thinking about this, uh, I realized on the third item on our list, revising unbiblical goals, so special skills, psychological adjustment, and then the third one that uh, Tripp brings to our attention, salvation. I thought, man, that's kind of, that's pretty rough. Like, we want our kids to be saved, but he's arguing if that's your ultimate goal, then you've missed the mark. You might, you might say, well, you've missed the mark slightly less than, than some of these other goals that we talked about. But he's still saying that you missed the mark. Why? Because salvation, and we've taught this before in different ways, but let me teach it this way in, in using this wording. Salvation is not a one-and-done event. It's not a one-time thing where, and, and this kind of comes up most kind of clearly and easily, you know, easy to debunk when you think about the kind of, uh, what is it, the, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it, you know, the, the kind of finny, finnyite decisionistic gospel presentations. Get, get a kid to just say the words, you know, get them to profess salvation when they're young and then everything's good. You're not even close to done. You've hardly even started, even if they make a profession of faith. You find out later when they're a teenager if they really believe that profession of faith or not and whether it was real or whether they were really thinking straight uh, you know, the way they are. So a one single event basis is not a good uh, you know, reason or kind of focus. If I just get my kids there, then I'm good, and then everything else can go along. I can do all the other special skills development, psychological adjustment, Blah, 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 everything's fine. I can just do the, the rest the way I want to do it. Kids need constant spiritual nurture. They need to learn the character of God, the fear of God, the judgment of God is coming. Um, you know, we're, we are, it's already mid-September of 2023. You know the year just started a few days ago, right? 
we are careening down a racetrack and final judgment is at the finish line. And we don't know how many more laps we have to go. You know, how many more years, how many more laps. We simply do not know. And your kids are the same. They're careening down a path. And at the end of that path, it's appointed unto man once and then you can't excuse yourself from that. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to go there. Uh, you know, I need a hall pass for that one. I'll, I'll just skirt around that. No, that doesn't happen. Everybody is going to stand before the Lord, either at the Bema seat or at the great white throne. And, and yes, salvation is important, but we have to recognize all of life is moving toward that final that final judgment. We need to teach our kids that depravity is real, that it's pervasive, that is all-encompassing. Like I said, bottom of the feet to the top of the head, our whole being, our whole heart, no part accepted, that it's subtle, that it makes excuses. We want to teach our kids about life's big issues and how they're answered in Scripture. Have you talked to your kids about the problem of evil? Have you talked to them about suffering? Have you talked to them about, I don't know, what? Why natural disasters? Have you talked to them about the conscience and where it comes from? Um, I don't know, have you talked to them about gender issues? You know, if they're of appropriate age for that. If they're in high school, they're an appropriate age for that because they're getting it crammed down their throats by either society or the schools or both. Yeah, so big issues. The Bible has answers for all of these, all of them, every last one of them. And there's no fear in us, no reason that we should fear that we can't give the answers. If you don't know them, we can help you. You can ask, you can study and read up. Um, Back to that idea of a one-event kind of thing in salvation. You know, when we talk about repentance and faith, perhaps I haven't made this clear enough in my teaching recently, because of our interest in getting people saved, you know, which is good, we can overlook the fact that we need to teach ourselves and teach our kids that repentance and faith are not just at the doorway of salvation. And then when we walk in, we kind of leave them behind us when we close that door. No, repentance and faith are not only how we initiate our relationship with Christ, but it's how we continue all the time. We are repenters, we are believers, we are confessors before God all the time, and so our children need to learn that as well. And, and repentance, I've, I've, because of the zeitgeist that we're in, in in recent decades, I have focused on teaching that we need to keep repentance in the gospel. And we've talked about repentance from sin in general, not just from one sin or from, uh, you know, from, from a wrong view about who Jesus is or something like that, but from our sins, all of them. But it's also necessary, and I should emphasize this, that repentance needs to have some specificity to it. You have certain sins that you've done that not, anybody, not everybody else has done. You have done them. You need to repent of them, specifically. Even now, today, this past week, you, know, you can 
say in a catch-all kind of way, God, I confess my sins. Which ones? What is it? Or, or, or is your flesh uh, deceiving you and saying, well, you've done your duty, you've confessed your sins, but at least I can hang on to this or that one and not have to really deal with it head on, head on. And so, so again, the problem with families is there's parents and there's kids, and the parents have to be able to know this and manage it and do it and follow the Lord and walk in, in repentant faith and then be able to raise their kids to understand that stuff as well. Of course, we can't make anyone do those things because that's a work of God and we must pray for them. Um, fourth unbiblical goal that we can revise, and this is a good goal too, to have family worship. But don't make family worship the end. Our struggle has been basically, let's just do some family worship. I'm talking about, again, us all here, myself included, all of us. Let's just do some family worship. But remember, that's not the end. That is a means to what end? Go back to the beginning. To honor God, to know God, and to serve God. Okay, To love God, we could say as well. So it's not just supposed to be an empty ritual or, okay, we've done that, so we're good. No, your goal is keep the goal in mind. We want our kids to know God. We want them to know about him. We want to know how he thinks, how he has arranged things, how he's designed the world, that he's a good God, even in the face of the presence of evil and that sort of thing. We want to, we want to convey that to, to our families. Um, we still have a couple more to go here. Uh, what about the goal of better behavior? That's a nice goal, isn't it? <laughs> it makes life easier when the kids are well-behaved. But that's not a goal in itself because, and here's where we go back to that Philippians 2 that we read earlier. When you teach your kids to say please and thank you and you're welcome and all that nice etiquette stuff and wait for everybody before they get served at the table or you know, ask to be excused or whatever. Are you teaching them that on the basis of uh, what I'll call social manipulation or on the basis of you really care for other people and you love them and you're looking out for their interests and you want to be an encouragement to them? So manners can be used as a way to manipulate if I just am nice, I'll get what I want. I'll get what I want. Yeah, it doesn't seem like God will get what he wants. It sounds like I will get what I want, which sounds selfish, doesn't it? So you can teach these things in a way that turns out a Pharisee. And the thing is about Pharisaism is it's this external kinds of, kind of looks good. The external is whitewashed, but inside is what? Full of dead men's bones, okay? It's a place where you don't necessarily care to walk into. How many of you like walking into a mausoleum? <laughs> you know, when you have to do that to, to do a funeral or whatever, just it is what it is. But, you know, you stop and think about it. In each one of those, what do you call them? Nooks? There are dead bodies in there. And even if it looks like a nice building on the outside, it's full of deadness on the inside. 
So we don't want to just aim for better behavior. We want to aim for loving our neighbor as ourself. Um, the issue of behavior is what uh, one of the other chapters talks about in the book, and uh, it looks like I'm not going to be able to get there, but let me just touch on it for a moment. Sometimes what we do is we say, look, your behavior stinks. Change this behavior. Okay? You're fighting over something. Instead, I want you to share it. Okay, but where did the fighting come from? A heart that was selfish in both children. Okay? If there's two of them going at it, okay? Where does sharing where is sharing supposed to come from? It's supposed to come from a heart of love. And so what you have to do is you have to go from you can't just go from behavior to behavior. You short circuit the biblical path, which is go back to the issue of this heart up here, repent of that, and come on over to this heart, which loves your brother and sister, and then have that produce sharing. Does that make sense? So this is a way for you to, to teach your kids, okay, it's not just behavior modification, you know, psychology, whatever, manipulate, because if you share, things will be better in your life. But you're, re- you're teaching about repentance and trusting in God and patience and all that that comes from a better heart, not from a sinful heart. And then they say, but that's hard, mom and dad. Well, that's really hard because really you need to repent of your sin and trust in Christ. So you're having an opportunity to keep going up to that heart issue that underlies and then over and down again to the better behavior. But in that, you're going to get them to the gospel and work on them with that. Um, We talked about good education as well, uh, you know, for uh, the American dream to make money, to uh, go to a good college and uh, all of that. And college is expensive and it would be nice to have, you know, multitudes of scholarships and everything like that. But instead of you know, you've got to get all A's. How about you go to school to, to um, how do I want to say, to work and work diligently because that's your job that's assigned to you by, by law from K through 12. <laughs> and, you know, um, because we're asking you to do that as your parents and you honor your parents and you need that and that's your job right now. And you don't just do the work as... Um, with eye service, remember that in Ephesians chapter 6? You know, just kind of do enough just to kind of get by. When the teacher goes out of the classroom, then it's, you know, uh, whatever, everything breaks loose. Then when the teacher walks back in, you know, everybody's like, good students, you know. <laughs> now, you want to go to learn. You don't want to just go to get good grades. You want to go to be diligent, to work diligently, and to honor God in the midst of that work. Uh, so that's a better approach a God-centered approach to, to uh, education. Now, somebody uh, will say, and this has been a challenge as well, thinking about this, well, what do I do with my children when they're unsaved? Can I expect this of them? Can I expect them to behave properly when they're unsaved? And some people will say it's hopeless. 
because they're not saved. They don't have the Spirit of God. They don't know the grace of God. Well, um, what else are you going to teach them? It's whether we said this when we teach the gospel to people. God commands all men everywhere to repent. All men, right? Not just some, not just the ones that are kindly disposed toward God. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Your kids need to repent. They need to be saved. They need to not have any gods before the true God. They need to not use the Lord's name in vain. They need to honor their parents. They need, these are commands. Whether you're saved or unsaved, the expectation is this is what God has laid out for humanity. Now, it's obviously very impossible for people that are unsaved to obey God, but that's the point. What you do is you use the law of God, the moral law of Christ, to continue to call your children to recognize that they are not right with God and that they need to be saved. What you're doing is, it's kind of an interesting thing. You're using the law of God, and I'm not saying, you know, just the law of God in terms of the Mosaic law, like just the Ten Commandments or, you know, because you get all mixed up in in the whole matter, matter of what, you know, what laws apply today and what don't. But let's say, we'll just easily say nine of the Ten Commandments, many of the principles in the Old Testament, all of the principles still apply in some way, and then the teaching in the New Testament. And you give that to your kids like God gave the law of Moses to the nation of Israel. Do you know how he used the law of Moses, Galatians tells us, as a tutor, schoolmaster. He used it as a schoolmaster to teach them of the need for the grace of God. And that brought them to a point nationally and historically where they would be able to receive the Messiah and his sacrifice, some of them, of course. And so you can use, just like historically God used the law with Israel as a nation, so presently you can use this with a child before they're saved in order to show them their moral bankruptcy. With me? Yeah. Some approaches to evangelism do this explicitly, and that's good. Um, But we do that in our homes by teaching. This is what we uh, are told by God to do. We call for obedience, and calling for such obedience is calling for salvation, which makes that obedience possible. So again, our goal is to to honor God by knowing and serving Him, not by serving ourselves. And much of our parenting is, I'm afraid, has maybe served ourselves as parents and taught our kids to serve themselves, and they'll carry that with them. So we we have work to do. Remember, I said I feel a uh, high level of inadequacy in teaching this material because it's difficult to apply. Um, It's difficult to think uh, in a way that you have not been naturally accustomed to think. And so we need to pray and ask God to help us. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, the Word of God is true, and uh, these portions that we've looked at just thinking of this one in Philippians, but the others we've quoted and said about are relevant not only in theory, but also in the practice of our homes and our kids' lives. 
with regard to school and um, home life and extracurricular activities and all the things that we, we are about. I pray that you would help us to take this and expand on it and apply it in, a, in an ever-growing way in our homes. And, and we need to start with ourselves as parents, grandparents, as just people. We have to ask, what are our goals? Are our goals self-centered or are our goals God-centered? And this will help us and guide us in living and also raising kids if you've blessed us with them. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.